0: Projects Podcast and today my guest is Shane Gufogg, who is an American artist that looks through the lens of humanity at civilizations, both past and present, and views time as threads that connect all people. His work is a visual language that is informed by spiritualism of abstraction and the realism of the old masters. These two ideas are usually seen as separate, but Gufog fuses them seamlessly into works that transcend and become testaments to thoughts that inform us of who we are in the 21st century. Um, Today, I am in Shane Gafog's studio in Central California, and I'm in his kitchen, and it's quite appropriate because we're gonna talk about materials and techniques that he's borrowed from the old masters. And if anybody knows Shane Gafog's work, his paintings in particular, you'll notice the glazing techniques, which are reminiscent of the old masters, so. Yes. Let's let's talk about your inspiration and. Good morning. Good morning.
1: Yes, we're in a kitchen. Coffee, coffee. <laughs> <coughs> coffee is being consumed. Um, the old masters. I. Let's see. I remember my mother had some art history books and mm-hmm. looking through them as a kid, and it was just baffling to me that. Um, in town, there was a little um, Hallmark store, and they had a um, a display of Grumbacher oil paints. Okay. Just the little tubes. And I remember as a kid, I would go in there and twist off the cap and, and smell the oil paint mm-hmm. and take a little bit and rub it on my skin. Hmm. And I thought, now, how how are these artists turning this into that? How are they turning these this pigment into these images yeah. that convey this information. It's incredible. <clears throat> yeah, and I thought, they're magicians. Mm-hmm. It's magic. And I, I wanted to be a magician mm-hmm. from day one. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I'm talking when I was four or five years old. And so I always had this great affinity for the old masters because it was, there was something so magical about what they were doing and um When I went to Europe um, at the age of 17, right out of high school, I found myself at the London National Gallery. Mm -hmm. And I would never stood in front of a real work of art.
0: Okay. Growing out
1: in the farm, there's just not much here. Right, right. right. There's no museums around here. There's no galleries. Mm -hmm. So I remember walking in and just being floored and then seeing... Uh, this Rembrandt painting, Mm -hmm. and it was the second-to-last self-portrait. And I stood in front of this thing, and I thought... I thought I could almost see him breathing. Mm -hmm. And he was looking back at me.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And suddenly, it was like something just opened up from the sky and started downloading into my brain, which was, I knew exactly how he made the painting. Mm-hmm. I knew which colors he used. I could see the brush strokes, I could see that he was using a, <clears throat> a cadmium red light to show um, light coming through his nostrils, mm-hmm. little dabs of it, and the uh, the pink in the eye, and a little dab of white paint to show the wetness of the eye, so on and mm-hmm. so forth, and the burnt siennas, and the raw siennas, and the, uh, the whites. and It was all there. It just hit me. Mm-hmm. It was like suddenly I had this revelation about how to make art. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd painted a little bit, but not really. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as the trip went on, you know, I found myself um, in um, in Milan and at the uh, chapel there, in front of the Last Supper. Okay. And that was a defining moment for me because standing there that afternoon, I pretended I was Leonardo da Vinci. And that the painting wasn't yet finished and I had come back to finish the painting. And I was trying to figure out what the painting needed to be finished, Mm -hmm. right? So here I am, I'm 17 years old, playing Mm -hmm. that I'm thinking that I'm Leonardo da Vinci. So that got me really interested in exploring their lives Mm -hmm. and who they were, when did they live, where did they live, what was their life story. And that also got me into understanding um, the materials they used. And with Rembrandt, I started to really investigate every chance I had. And I ended up going to his house in Amsterdam. Oh, wow. And seeing the different pigments Mm -hmm. and seeing the different glaze mediums. Mm -hmm. You know, they Mm -hmm. have them all on display. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I came back. When I got back to the States, um, I got this book, this handbook, Mm-hmm. for artist materials, right? Big, thick, I got it around here somewhere. It's at the studio in L.A. It's at the studio in L.A. So they have all these recipes in there for glazes that the old masters used. Mm-hmm. So I started playing around with that. And because I wanted to replicate what I had seen.
0: Intriguing.
1: With, with the old masters, right? Uh-huh. Um, and also, what so what the glaze medium does is as I apply layer after layer but it's a very th- it thins the paint down so the paint becomes semi-translucent. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when the paintings are lit properly, the light can penetrate in through that surface and reflect back out. So it makes the painting seem as if they're being illuminated from within. Okay. As if they have their own light source. And <clears throat> so I start playing around with this idea but I wasn't very good with mixing up my glazes. Mm-hmm. I, kept, I couldn't get a consistency. I have one painting in the other room there where I added too much Japanese dryer, I think. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the glaze medium dried too quickly, so it's all crackled. Okay. So it ends up looking like an ancient old painting, but it's not. Uh-huh. Um, but there was a mystery, and it was about light that I was after.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So in the beginning, I was painting a lot of portraits Self-portraits, portraits, of people, mm-hmm. family members, um, doing copies of Rembrandt's, mm-hmm. and that was my way of learning mm-hmm. about him mm-hmm. again to sort of walk mm-hmm. in his shoes, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so,
0: and that's a method that artists have always done. At least artists, the old sort of masters, is copy other paintings, yeah. to to learn,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I think it's a great a great thing to do. Because uh, you'll learn more than you could ever learn reading a book. Mm-hmm. And you understand their techniques better. And then you understand what works for them may not work for you. And mm-hmm. vice versa.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or it may work. Mm-hmm. But for me, <clears throat> and Leonardo also, da Vinci also used glaze mediums. And then to get that smooth um, gradation of shadows on his flesh tones, he would actually use his fingers oh. to blend it. Okay. Because the brushes weren't. Uh, they didn't do the job well enough. So, you know, they can find, through forensic testing, they can actually locate his fingerprints mm-hmm. on, in, in the... Yeah,
0: you know, I was just thinking that.
1: Right. So that's how you know if you got a real Leonardo or not. Mm-hmm. You look for his fingerprints. Oh, wow. But, um, anyway, cut two. Love that. <clears throat> so that, that's where it all started with me. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, um, I just started kind of going through art history and adopting different styles, like this neo-expressionism, mm-hmm. and with thick paint. And then when I went to Cal Arts, I was doing that sort of painting style. And then um, I was—I went and did an internship in New York. And being in New York made me realize where I was from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that space mm-hmm. and the horizon line and the California landscape was so much part of my being
0: and the California light
1: and the California light was very much a part of my being right yeah so you don't realize that until you're away from it right
0: yeah.
1: um, and then I started thinking about my thoughts and memories and memories becoming memories of memories and how over time your memories get condensed and they form sort of a a collage of a moment. Not the moment itself, Mm -hmm. but there's fragments of it, and they all get meshed in together. You know, it's like our brains don't have enough hard drive Mm -hmm. to keep track of it all, right? Mm -hmm. So that started a whole other series of paintings called My Memory Series.
0: Which I love.
1: Which you love. And uh, they're fragments of memories Mm -hmm. all mashed together. Mm But that required me to start painting realistically again,
2: mm-hmm.
1: in order to convey what I was trying to communicate. Okay. Right. So that got me then back into the idea of the glazing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but this time, um, I, there was a lot of things going on. But one thing was I, I was feeling trapped with representational painting. Okay. Because I didn't want my paintings to necessarily tell stories. Mm -hmm. I was okay with implied narratives, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want them to be read as a story. And I felt that you know film does a much better job at that. Yeah. Yeah. So then that got me thinking about well, what is the real purpose of art? Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking about spiritualism and so on and so forth, which is a whole other topic. And. But the idea of doing the glazing started coming back around again, and I thought, you know, this is a way for me to make representational paintings out Mm -hmm. of abstract moments,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. right? So a brushstroke is an abstract moment. Mm -hmm. But if I paint that brushstroke as a real event, as a real thing, suddenly (coughs) abstraction becomes realism. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (coughs) Right? And- um,
0: Hey, Remy, Mr. Remy. Remy is uh, Shane and Rembrandt. Wants to go out. <laughs>
1: wants to go out.
0: Anyways. So anyway, yeah.
1: Um, <clears throat> that's and so the painting technique as I started developing this idea and I really wanted the light in mm-hmm. there. I realized that the more layers I put on, the more translucent, and could you close the door please? Sorry. No um, the more translucent and the more il- luminous mm-hmm. the paintings became. Mm-hmm. And that when I had them lit properly, they would l- literally glow. Mm-hmm. And that became a thing in itself for me. Mm-hmm. And so I started just pushing that, pushing that. And so I mix, and then this company came out called Galkid, uh, uh called Gamblet, and the product's called Galkit, which is a glazing stuff. And it's always consistent, so I can't screw it up. And I get little containers, and I put Galkit in these containers, and then I have a palette where I squeeze out the colors that I'm interested in. Okay. And then I dip my brush in the container and then make puddles mm-hmm. on my palette mm-hmm.
0: with yeah. the paint, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And I actually mix the colors on the palette with the medium to get the desired tones that I want. And then I'll do a layer of that on, on the surface of the painting. It usually takes about 24 hours to dry, so the next day I come back and do another session, and mm-hmm. then another session, and mm-hmm. another session. And one at one point I was curious on how many Layers I was doing, Mm -hmm. so I started keeping track. Mm -hmm. I make a little mark, you know, hatch mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got to about 80 layers. Okay. So I quit counting. Yeah. I thought, who knows? This is crazy. But I'm after a a certain effect. Right. The only way I know how to get there is through the glazing process. Mm -hmm. You know, and that is something that. Photography can't replicate, film can't replicate. Nothing Mm -hmm. can replicate that Mm -hmm. final result.
0: I always felt that, I mean, all of your paintings, the uh, different series that you do, there's a certain amount of glazing technique, but one series that you work on that is um, specifically, I think, super successful is the Odic series. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. Because
0: it is about energy And and, and light. And energy that is unseen to our eye Mm -hmm. um, that permeates.
1: Making the invisible visible. And that that idea, the Odic notion, came from a scientist, I think it was the late 1800s or something. Yeah, yeah. And he felt that he had this idea that every living thing or everything on this planet emitted Mm -hmm. um, an energy that was potentially visible.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So he would create a black room Mm -hmm. and put a plant in there, for instance, and sit there and stare at it in complete darkness until he began to see sort of the aura
0: of
1: this plant. Uh Nobody knows if this was an actual scientifically proven thing or not. I think it's still up for debate, but so he called the aura the otic, Mm -hmm. and that... You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can see people's auras. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And you can, I mean, I can literally see um, the aura around them. Mm-hmm. And if I'm walking down the sidewalk, for instance, I can look down and see the shadow of my aura. Oh. Yeah.
0: How interesting.
1: And I can see the color of people's auras, mm-hmm. whether it's a white or a very mm-hmm. violet color, mm-hmm. you know, pale, pale violet. Um, anyway. So that's where that idea came from. So I started thinking about light, that invisible light. Mm-hmm. And how do we make the invisible visible?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the glazing technique really lended itself to exploring that idea.
0: Definitely. Yeah. For sure. And as you
1: know, there's <clears throat> light is something that I reference a lot of my titles. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because it's always in my paintings. You know, when I, uh, with that one series I did about um, what I consider how my light is spent. Right. Again, referring to light, about but that is about the vision and how we see light. Correct.
0: Right? Yeah. And yeah.
1: That. But then light also becomes has a spiritual connotation to mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. it's about the illumination
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, of not only our physical world but maybe our spiritual world. Right. So that's what led me to create that glazing mm-hmm. technique, mm-hmm. which I still use daily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but then, like you said, I go back and forth with different mediums. Mm-hmm. Uh, pastels is one medium I like to use because it's immediate.
0: Well, the Lumen Lapis series inspired by light off uh-huh. the water in Venice from yeah. your trips in Venice, Italy.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and, yeah, I think, again, like the way that you use the pastels and the light, it's almost... It's not a glazing technique, but you've sort of reinvented it in those pastels.
1: Yeah, and I... <clears throat> with the Lumen Lapsa series, which means um, in Latin, falling light, mm-hmm. or light falling. Okay. And again, I was thinking about the, say, the third dimension and the fourth dimension, and there's, is there a space between them? hmm And if so, what happens in that space?
0: Oh, wow. That's great.
1: And does light exist in that space? Mm -hmm. And how does it behave? Mm -hmm. So these are almost like these weird scientific questions that I'm asking. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think they're weird. Okay.
0: I think they're great. (laughs) I think people, I hope people will spend more time thinking about that than other things.
1: Yes, like how many likes they have. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But let's not go there.
0: Yeah. Um, but, but
1: yeah, so the light and and I would take the um, take the soft pastel sticks mm-hmm. and with my thumbnail scrape off
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, little grains of of the pastel and let it fall onto the surface, mm-hmm. and then I would take a, a plastic spatula mm-hmm. and drag them down across it, so it looks as if there's another dimension. Yeah. Yeah. That, that feels is, That, that yeah. is sitting right on top of that surface. And that mm-hmm. surface is what exists between the third and fourth dimension. Or the second and third dimension.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Also, I mean, I never really thought about it. But your Murano glass series that you, you've done in Murano. Mm-hmm. The foundry there. Um, and the mirroring
1: mm-hmm. in the glass. About the reflection of light. Yes. And that was all meant to replicate... Or not replicate, but engage, have a have a, a visual conversation with my paintings. So I'm using a language
2: mm-hmm.
1: of that I developed with my paint.
2: Mm-hmm. Well
1: how can I translate that into a different medium? Okay. Right. So the glass <clears throat> is kind of a perfect example because glass is something that you see through, glass is something that is about light, it's mm-hmm. about color. Mm-hmm. And, and then the idea of mirroring the inside, that was actually, um, I've been to Venice, I think a dozen times. And I have a, a business associate there, Alvisay, and he is kind of an expert on Murano glass. Okay. And he, a couple of trips that I, first few trips i made, he would take me around and go to the glass museums and show me the whole history of glass so I could see what it was capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I started coming up with ideas. Mm-hmm. But first I needed to know the medium. Right. Um, and so the idea of, of, you know, he would show me that, hey, by the way, mm-hmm. this glass can be mirrored on the inside,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that way the light will reflect through the quarter inch thick glass and mm-hmm. then reflect back out again, mm-hmm. sort of emulating my paintings.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, and, it, and then those shapes of the glass pieces, they came out of um, my early ribbon paintings. And the ribbon paintings were you know, very spontaneous gestural marks that were sort of an extension of the abstract expressionist movement. But I was combining that with the techniques of Rembrandt mm-hmm. and Leonardo da Vinci. So mm-hmm. all these things were playing into, and they still are, into my thoughts and my process. But it's one thing to make a mark, but then there's a space around that mark. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. space around the mark, I started doing drawings of. Oh. So then those drawings, I would then fold a piece of paper in half mm-hmm. and cut out the shape, creating a three-dimensional space, mm-hmm. so to speak. So the negative space in the paintings end up becoming the physical forms in glass.
0: Fabulous. Yeah. So beautiful. And I also enjoy I mean, the title, Return of Tomorrow, I think it's the English translation. Um is really delightful. But also seeing those pieces in Carrera marble, the white marble that you've that you've done is really exceptional as well. (laughs) I know there's
1: one in the guest house. There's
0: one in the guest house and it's um it's sitting there next to a piece of art glass. on either side but it's so um sumptuous uh sensual it's um the shapes and the light and the white it's just I know that everybody who sees that piece they just fall in love with it
1: thank you I you know when I was doing those I thought I want them to be both male and female Mm mhm I want them to be both organic organic and architectural Mm mhm And so that they're instantly recognizable, but we don't know why. Okay. So that they're kind of floating between what we think we know and what we know we know. Uh Uh-huh. Or maybe between our conscious and subconscious mind. So it becomes a bridge between two parts of ourselves.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: So that was the intention Uh of those shapes. Mm Uh-huh. And um, like I said, they came out of the negative spaces within the paintings. Mm Uh-huh. So it was a way for me to engage again. That, like we we're talking about the lumin lapsus, and between these dimensions, between the the conscious and subconscious mind, mm-hmm. there's there's a a moment there, yeah, right. That mm-hmm. That is a bridge be- that informs us.
0: Right. I wish more people would, you know, contemplate these. These ideas, these thoughts because why, <laughs> <laughs>
1: why? They may go a little bunkers. No, just kidding.
0: No, I, I wish they would because instead of being in the concrete world of our existence, of ourselves, of the obsession, that they would think a bit beyond the material and the object. Mm-hmm. I know Matisse was about painting um, relationships based on these objects. Mhm. And and color. And, color. Mm-hmm. and um, I, as, just, as I just I just wish Yeah, and I just wish that dialogue and thank you so much would continue in contemporary art.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, I think art again, the it's a vehicle to transport us beyond the mundane realities of life into a deeper awareness mm-hmm. of our the essence of who we are in evolution yeah yeah and you know when i look at back to the beginning of this conversation
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, when i every time i i stand in front of a rembrandt painting and i've seen most of them around the world now mm-hmm. that are in in public uh, collections
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the uh uh, the Hermitage Museum in Saint Petersburg, Russia, has fourteen of them. Gosh, I can't wait to oh, go. Oh, and I was just in <laughs> Hog Heaven. Let me just uh, say,
0: yeah, I the mean, Rembrandt like, room. Oh. Yeah, I've looked it up because oh, you've talked just, about it. I've looked it up. Oh, it's staggering. Yeah, it's
1: so staggeringly beautiful. And even these little throw off portraits—they have like two or three of them there, of you know people you don't know, and maybe they were a little commission or something. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> they just stand out. Mm-hmm. amongst everything else they shine mhm they have a presence to them yes and as if they are a a living thing like and they're emitting their own odic mhm you know you sense it
0: yeah yeah you do you do um you do when you see a great piece of art you you have a sense of um you mentioned that in in our first episode yeah. There's there's a sense of un there's a sense of knowing without even consciously being aware of right. it. Right. Yeah. Right. It Wonderful. just
1: it tells you, you don't tell it. Right. And Wonderful. you're there to be present in that moment. Mhm. To receive this um, God, I don't even know words to put onto it, but it's it's an illumination of the human experience. Mhm. You know, and it it's quite profound and I when I stand in front of great works of art like that, it's almost overwhelming.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you have to sit down. Yeah. That's why they have those benches in there. I do. I have to sit down and, yeah. and not feel rushed right. and whoever I'm in the museum with or, or whatnot just to stop. And sometimes I've spent you know hours just sitting and yeah. thinking and not even looking at it and then gazing back and, yeah. and looking at how the other people respond. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's like you want to spend time.
1: What I like to do with museums is I go into a room Mm -hmm. and I pick one painting Mm -hmm. to look at.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't look at any other painting. Oh. I just pick one. Okay. And I will stand in front of that painting for five or ten minutes Mm -hmm. and just absorb it. Yeah. And then I walk out. And I go to the next room. Oh. And I do the same thing. Wow. And if it's a museum that I have access to, <clears throat> like in L.A., mm-hmm. um, maybe I go once a month. Uh-huh. And each time I pick a different painting Okay, to look at. Right. Yeah. Because it's just overwhelming.
0: It is completely overwhelming. You know,
1: my body starts tightening up and my legs start to hurt and my lower back starts getting tired. And, and, and it's the strangest thing because when I'm painting, I'm standing up all day long. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't get that tired yeah but when i'm looking at great works of art it just it's like there's something happening to me
0: yeah i i i feel that too and i think it's a really great comment because most works of art take longer than five minutes to create and so you're taking all that in Mm -hmm. you know all those layers if we talk about light and layers and time and layers and and we and and supposedly objects have energy and layers that we can't even see or feel as humans. We it's only that right. our mind is <clears throat> is made aware.
1: Well, that takes us back to which we haven't even talked about right yet, but E equals MC squared. Uh huh. Einstein's theory of <clears throat> relativity, which is energy is equal to the mass of an object or the weight of an object multiplied by the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. Squared, And that is the formula that unleashed the age, the nuclear age. Mm. So that is a formula that tells you how much energy is contained in my coffee mug between the atoms Uh and the nucleus and and the protons and the neutrons and how it's all being held together. The gravitational pull Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: that's holding these atoms together Mm
2: -hmm.
1: is energy. Mm. when that energy is released you have an atomic bomb oh <laughs> so e equals MC square uh-huh. right? how Einstein figured that out who knows but <clears throat> I think about that when I'm looking at sometimes these great works of art
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: there's an energy there mm-hmm. Yeah. and I sense it I see it I feel it anyway that's Excellent. That.
0: Well, thank you so much for this, for this uh, time and talking about materials and techniques and light and the old masters and, and just sharing, um, just being so willing to, dish, to share your studio practice and what you think and feel. It's just, uh, it's just such an honor.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you for um, suggesting the podcast and coming up with your questions otherwise Um. i'm just you know i'm i'm off in my little corner doing what i do yeah yeah well thank you thank you